Welcome to the Velo News Podcast. Bam! It's the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer with Kaylee Fretz. Kaylee, where are we right now? Uh, we are in Marseille. Uh-huh. The uh, I was gonna say beautiful city of Marseille, charming, charming, charming city of Marseille, known for its uh, its graffiti. Yep, it, and its crime, crime. <laughs> it's like mafia, lo- lovely beaches. It That's does true. have lovely beaches. Uh, yeah, we we are in. Well, we're in the middle of Marseille, outside of a very large orange branded velodrome, and we are here for the final time trial of the Tour de France. We were walking around um, around the team buses, so if you hear any large engine noises in the background uh, we're not recording like at the airport or anything like that we're like <laughs> next to some you know we're at the movie star team bus right now yep and we're just going to take uh listeners of the Valley's podcast on a little stroll around the area and express some takes get people up to speed because ah, we've had so much go on over the last few days kaylee frets um team sky they're gonna win this one they Chris are Froome, gonna win this one unless i mean unless something you know Something drastic happens, like he gets hit by a meteorite or something like that. Yeah, I mean, we are recording this before the time trial. We're making some assumptions here. Yeah. However, uh, I think the chances of Chris Froome losing that one are quite low at this point. Uh, so, first of all, what is your assessment of the city of Marseille? Uh, we went out last night to get some dinner. Uh, over the last, what, 12 hours, I think we've witnessed two acts of violence. <laughs> Only two. Only two. Only two acts of violence. Yep. Yeah, we saw, we saw a woman... Well, we didn't we didn't witness the beginning of this altercation, but we saw a woman kick the bucket of money in front of a couple of musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the musicians then sort of attacked her. Critics these days, yeah. man. It's like, hey, street musician, I don't like the song you're playing. I'm gonna kick your bucket. Kick your bucket of money. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and then we they saw, retaliated. They did retaliate. Yeah. Well, as you would if, if it, you know if someone came up and kicked my bucket of money, I'd do the same thing. No, no, an old lady kicks my bucket. I'd probably just like give her the hey, crazy old lady, what are you doing? Look, <laughs> that's just me. They were a little physical with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then this morning we saw a man attacking his scooter. Yeah, we're not, was, we're not really entirely sure was what was going on. Really here. pissed at his motor scooter. Uh, <laughs> really have no idea what was going on there. Uh, anyway, that's our update on the city of Marseille, charming yep. city where um, people beat up their motorized vehicles. Yep. So let's get to it, uh, Kaylee. Over the last few days, we've seen um, the race head into the Alps and come out of the Alps. We had stages 17 and 18. The peloton went up the Galibier. They finished atop the Isuard. And we've come out of it with some some storylines and some takes about the three guys, basically, who are still in the race. Chris Froome, well, Chris Froome and uh, Mikael Landa, Team Sky, uh, Rigo Buter Aran, Team Cannondale, and uh, Roman Bardet, AG2R. Let's get to it. Let's start, let's start with Rigo, because, you know, he's uh, having the ride of his life. He's bringing lots and lots of attention to Cannondale Draypack at a time when the team really needs it. And I think the big storyline that we have seen with the way he's been riding is that in the Alps, it really seemed like he was playing defense. Yeah, aggressively defensive is how I described it when I chatted with Charlie Wigelius after uh, Stage 17. And I, I think that that... That's essentially that was their plan. Is is you know, Uran jumped on every single move, pretty much instantaneously. The only one that we saw him hesitate at all 
was actually the, the last attack that Chris Froome made of yep. the Isward, and then he closed down. He just sort of waited 15, 20 seconds. Yeah, he looked really, really good the entire time they were going through the Alps there, but never really went on his own. And that was kind of the weird thing for us. Is he, he did look so strong. He looked so able to follow those moves, so easily follow those moves, that you would think he would have it in him to throw down at least once, and he really, he never did. No, he didn't, and he took some crap from uh, Roman Bardet <laughs> after uh, stage 17, which went up the Galibier and finished just outside of Briançon. I think Bardet was kind of like, well, you know, I was willing to attack, and Rigo was just shutting stuff down. And like, I get it, you know, like, you know, we want a race to win, and uh, Cannondale, the messaging out of Cannondale has been, well, Rigo is racing to win. Sorry, we have a small child having a little bit of a tantrum next to us. Um, parents, gra grandma and grandpa seem to have it under control, however. Um, but yeah, the, the question of racing to win versus racing for the podium um, is, is one that comes up pretty often at the Tour de France. But in this case, it's like, I can't really blame Uran for racing for the podium because... A, he has a really good shot in the time trial of leapfrogging Bardet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe yeah. not being so aggressive in the Alps is part of a greater strategy to, like, target the time trial. But then B, like, landing on the podium would be a huge boon for his team. For Yeah, for both Iran and his team. I think that, that the first point there is really the important one. He, just like Froome, Iran didn't necessarily have to attack to secure what we think is probably going to be second place uh, in Paris because so right now he's six seconds down on Bardet he's almost surely going to take that back in the time trial today assuming that he is anywhere near uh, the peak of his time trial powers I mean recall that this is a rider who has, has won time trials at the Giro um, he should have no trouble taking those six seconds back and the, the reality is that yeah a second place at the Tour de France is massive is massive yeah. for both him and Cannondale and so if you know that if you know that you essentially have second in the bag as long as you stay close to Bardet you're just not going to you're not going to throw down just in case you blow up yeah I mean that would be uh, just a massive result in the, the history of this team this team has won a Giro it's won a Paris-Roubaix it's won Liège-Bastogne-Liège it uh, had Bradley Wiggins finish on the podium after the fact at the 2009 Tour de France. But since then, the Tour has been it's been a bit tough going for Cannondale. <coughs> yeah, I mean, they, they were sort of stage hunting the last couple of years. Pierre Roland was, was in the stage hunt. Uh, Andrew Tolansky was, was, was shooting for GC a couple times. But no, they, they, they haven't had a spectacular Tour de France. Well in a while yeah. it's been a long time and so yeah uh, I think Iran in second that's it's that's up there it's, it's up there and it, and it is potentially at this point because Jonathan Waters is looking for uh, for new sponsorship and, and additional financing I think that uh, it, it could it could go a long way toward securing this team moving forward yeah the uh, quote that Vodders gave us the other day was basically well hey what if someone looks at uh, you know, this 40 million dollar team aka team sky and this team with a quarter of the budget of that is team and says well you know the quarter of the quarter of the budget team is doing almost as good <laughs> as Team Sky, which that is a general, or, or that is a generous assessment that is quite of the a, situation. Quite a generous assessment. And, and, and you know, final final take here. Uh, yes, we've, I sort of understand why Iran didn't attack. I think, you know, you can understand the logic. Right. However, as bike race fans, I think we all were hoping for yeah, more. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, that, that, at the end of the day, whoa. Speaking of yeah, the devil, whoa. 
And there or they go. Iran. There he goes. There he goes. Oh, and they Taylor just rode past us. Uh, Taylor Finney's mom, Connie, is right there screaming for her son. Uh, there they go. Davis as well. Oh, Iran yeah. Just rode by us. Other news that came out is that the team did secure a new uh, like media technology sponsor. Oath. So it's going to be... I, I, we had some fun with it because of, of all the headline potential there. <laughs> yeah. Oath, Oath sworn to Cannondale. <laughs> I mean, you can... What can you do with oaths? You can swear an oath. You can swear an oath. You can give an oath. You can, uh, you can break an oath. You can break an oath. You Ooh. can... I don't know. Oath is a weird word. It just, it just doesn't really roll off the tongue all What if easily. it was title sponsor? Team Oath. <laughs> Team Oath. That's not, that would not be great. Well, wow. it would be great for writing headlines. It yeah, really that's would. true. We would, we would very much appreciate it. I, I did, I did, I chatted with, uh, well, I texted with Waters, and uh, he said that it's actually probably not going to be Oath anywhere on the jersey. It could be one of the many, so Oath is a giant media conglomerate. It could be one of the many media companies that, uh, that Oath owns is more likely to end up on the bus than on the jersey. I hope it's Team HuffPo. <laughs> because then I just want to imagine all of the Cannondale riders also like having to aggregate stories and like <laughs> like be news aggregate like sitting at like a long ta- row of tables yeah. like reading the New York Times and then like Are you, boiling them down into blogs. If they're on the uh, the World Tour minimum salary, they can yeah. start whipping up stories for fifteen bucks a pop. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's our job, people. Uh, all right, moving on. We need to talk about the other storylines here. Uh, the next one, Bardet, uh, Roman Bardet, and love his- him. Plucky and lovable. So much plucky. Very lovable. Uh, team AG2R. Or uh, AG. AG Duzer. You know what? Listeners of the Vel News Podcast, <laughs> like, we're calling it AG2R. We're Americans. We've, I've heard like French people call it AG2R uh, throughout the race. AG Duzer. AG Yeah, Connie Carpenter just came over and gave us crap for not speaking French. Well I mean, enough. look, I'm, I will <laughs> refer to like. South American countries, by the way, they're uh, usually pronounced Guatemala, you know, Honduras. But gosh darn it, it's cycling. I'm calling it AG2. I'm, I'm calling it their AG2. Well, I think the reality is that when we try to do proper French, it often comes out worse than Yeah, if we you sound didn't. fine. I sound like a jackass. <laughs> uh, anyway, this team has been extremely aggressive, was extremely aggressive in the Alps. Uh, Roman Bardet attacked multiple times up the Galibier, and then the next day, stage 19, he had, they, they had their... What? 20. 18. 19. 18. 18. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vel- <laughs> listeners of the Vel News podcast, we've lost our minds here in Marseille. It's I have no idea what day it is. We may have violence enacted against us <laughs> standing under this tree. Um, but anyway... He had the team ride with the no regret strategy. Kaylee, tell me about the no regret strategy. Uh, the no regret strategy. Pas de regrets. Uh, uh, regrets. I can't do a French R. I'm just not even going to try. Uh, pas de regrets means no regrets. And that was the it was the first and last thing said in the bus, in the team meeting in the bus, uh, the morning of the Iswar stage. And basically it was, we are going to do absolutely everything we can today to try to take the stage win and the yellow jersey shooting high shooting very very high so basically what that looked like was doing uh, a team time trial on the front of the peloton from like 50k out to the base of the Izuard they tried to sky sky basically yeah and you know you can't blame them everyone on on, I was watching Twitter (laughs) during the stage and it seems like Twitter was was very uh very angry yeah. about this about this tactic quite critical quite critical about this of this tactic uh, you know I think that I, I think that they, they they did what they had to do they had to they had to try and it's yeah. just sitting behind sky for those 50k was not gonna do it what well, basically what they were what they were gambling on is that one of the 
big favorites would have a bad day. Right. That's what they're hoping for. And they're, they're saying if we just punch it, we bring the try to bring the break back so that some bonus seconds are in play. I mean, you know, those 10 seconds at the top would have been very useful. And, and hopefully day. the guy who had the bad day, his name rhymes with Schmish Mroom. <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, Chiro Buran. Yeah, yeah that, guy. <laughs> that guy. Either way, no, that's what they were hoping for. They were hoping for somebody to have a bad day. And if one of the one of the real contenders had had a bad day, they would have looked brilliant because yeah. they would have, you know, they, they used the whole team. They put them on the front. Alexi Vigermoz was the last guy standing. Uh, pounding into the bottom of the Isward. You know, if they had dropped Uran or or, you know, even Froome, they would have looked brilliant. You know they didn't and so they didn't look as brilliant. Yeah. But they they had to give it a shot. They did succeed, I will say, in popping um Sergio Haynau. Yes. And then Mikel Nieve was like able to take basically two minutes of a pull on the front and then faded. But the real all star, I will say, going up that climb was Mikel Kwiatkowski because yep. he did not get popped. And in fact, he went to the front after Ajay Duzer got the heck out of town, went went with the the, the GTFO, <laughs> and just, oh, he rode so hard going up the uh, for the meat of the Izuard. Uh, I love the Twitter clip of him uh, on the front grabbing his sunglasses and just tossing them away for some reason. And I think he tweeted afterwards, it was just like, this is when you're at the limit for too long. You just start throwing <laughs> stuff. Throwing stuff. What else am I going to throw? This is the only thing I have to throw. And again, as we saw, what Kwiatkowski does is he goes so hard that literally when he gets off the front, he, he stops pedaling and falls off his bike. I mean, he put his foot down. He stopped on yeah. the side of the road, which, yeah, it's super impressive. Shows just how deep the, these guys go for their team leaders. And also shows why... They are the domestique, and Chris Froome is the team leader because uh, Chris Froome does not have the option to take a little break yeah. on the side of the road. And, and you know, you see these domestiques going as hard as they can on the front, and it really is they are over their limit. I mean, Kwiatkowski was clearly over his limit. When you pull up and you have to stop on the side of the road in order to recover, that is serious pull. So back to Aje Duzer. Aje Duzer. Kaylee, they said they were going to ride with no regrets. Uh, the question, should they have regrets? <laughs> uh, well, should they have maybe pulled like a little bit later so they could have nuked it in I, up part, part of the way up the Izuard? Or they, do they not have the staff to do that? Uh, I mean, the, the team actually, that team has ridden it really impressively given... Well, given how strong the team is, they, yeah. it's sort of they've ridden above and beyond. I think their ability, uh, which which is always really impressive, and they've really risen to the occasion this year at the Tour de France. I do. I think. Well, I personally think that they were trying to pull that. They were trying to keep that break in check because I do think that. You know, they want a. They wanted a stage, another stage win for Bardet, and you know, do not scoff at the 10 second time bonus that that could that could be I mean 10 seconds could be the difference between second and third yeah. uh, at the Sort of France if Froome had cracked it could have been the difference between first and second I do think that that's part of the reason why they got on the front so early because Sky had no interest at all in pulling back the breakaway because they don't want those bonus seconds in play that, they, they have no interest in the bonus seconds being in play I do think that uh, Ejitoire should have some some regrets in that well frankly it didn't work yeah. uh, but no regrets because you have to give it a go. And plus, they are the French team. They have the French hero. Every other person standing alongside the road at this year's Tour de France is carrying a Roman Bardet sign, yep. wearing a Roman Bardet shirt. And so it is a sign of 
French national pride to be able to seize control of the race and like try to do something. I think they would have gotten way more crap if they would have just sat in the race and let Sky do their thing. So oh, yeah. yeah, no regrets. Way yeah. to go, guys. I mean, the press center the press center would erupt into applause every single time Bardet would, would make a move. So I know. it's not exactly Those independent journalists. It's not exactly a neutral press corps. Yeah, neutral <laughs> journalists. Oh, Roman, Roman. Uh, okay, moving on. The other uh, players that we have to talk about, both Team Sky guys, Mika Landa and um, Chris Froome, because they played it pretty smart through the Alps. You know, they did the typical Sky thing, which was right on the front, power in numbers. But something that we have not seen before in the Froome era was on display both stages 17 and 18, which is having a teammate who's capable of factoring into the tactics of the race. Because Mika Landa, he's basically a minute behind uh, Uran and Bardet. So he is... He's a card to play. And um, as they said over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, as they said over and over again. And, you know, we saw that stage 18 when, um, you know, I think it was about 4K to go. Landa just goes. He just attacks. Yeah, and, uh, well, it's, you know, we, we've heard rumblings uh, that, well, Landa wanted to win this bike race, basically. And, yeah. I, and, and there is, there are further, there are rumblings that, uh, that he may be going elsewhere next season uh, and, and often when these guys already know that they're going to leave a team their their loyalty to said team starts to diminish however i think it, w it was it was proven in the end that lando was still working for Froome, uh and it was also proven in the end that, that Froome's a stronger stronger of the two uh when when essentially Froome ended up chasing him down chasing lando down on the isward i think that that was that was clarified that was cleared up but yeah, it was a brilliant move because you send Land up the road and you force Bardet and Oran to work a little bit. You force, you know, you force your other rivals to put their put their necks out and go into the wind. And and he, Sky is the only team that had that option. Uh, you know, I think that like Movistar came into this race, we thought they would have that option with Valverde and Quintana. Yeah, Valverde yeah. out of the race, Quintana basically out of the race. <laughs> Quintana just anonymous the entire race. That was the only other team that had any chance of using tactics like that and it just didn't work out for him so another another bit of proof that team sky was by far the strongest team in this bike race so now there have been rumblings these last couple days about uh, mika landa and mika nieve uh being linked to other teams in the future and it brings up a pretty fun sort of alternative scenario which is like how would team sky function without those two guys at this race like if these guys do leave the team, um, these two very powerful Mikels, you know, Mikel and Mikel, <laughs> buddy comedy coming yep. to theaters near you. Hey, Mikel and Mikel. <laughs> um, what does what what is Team Sky able to do? I mean, are they able to control the race uh, in the same way if there's no Landa, no Nieve? Well, so keep in mind that this is this is Team Sky without Wopols. Right who had an injury early in the season and did not come back, basically was not on top form in time for the Tour de France. You know, even if they lose Landa, even if they lose Nieve, they still have Poles, they still have Kwiatkowski, they still have Thomas. That's the other name that they lost earlier in the race. I mean, imagine, look at how strong Sky was, and then imagine them with Garrett Thomas and potentially Poles. Yeah, I don't think that they're going to be... I don't think they're going to be hurting for no. firepower uh, next year. I, and I don't think that we're going to see another team come anywhere near Sky in terms of, of overall strength in the next couple of years. And part of that is just because, yeah, they have huge budget. I mean, you know, they have the budget to buy world champion 
Kwiatkowski and then say you're going to be a domestic. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, I think they're the only team. They're the only team in the sport that can do something. I've like loved that. the chatter about the vanity signing of Mikhail Kwiatkowski as if it's like buying like a fancy car that you don't really need. <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean you don't really need him? You totally need this guy. <laughs> like this guy has made the race. He's going so hard that he's chucking his sunglasses off. He's going so hard he's about to fall off his bike. And like in these really critical moments, he has neutralized the race. Like that's no vanity signing. That is like full on buying buying the car that <laughs> that gets you to where you need to go yeah, reliably. He, he has been I mean I think he's I think he's MVP yeah. of the Tour de France for Team Sky. I think that he is he's been absolutely critical. Uh, not always the most visible moments, but sort of very, very key, crucial moments. Often in the middle of the stage, we see Kwiatkowski taking these big, big, big pulls uh, that, have, that have definitely helped Sky. Really, really strong Twitter game, too. Very know? strong. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for a non-native English speaker, like, great control over things like sarcasm <laughs> and um, snarkiness on Twitter. He's like, a smart chapeau. guy. He is smarter than the average bear. Smarter than the average pro cyclist. The, smarter than the, the average Polish world champion pro cyclist <laughs> who just ends people, just ruins them on huge climbs. Chapeau, Mikko Kwiatkowski. Chapeau. So that brings us to today. It's a time trial. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're bound to see a number of uh, interesting storylines come out of this because time trials are always so compelling. Kaylee's giving me the sarcastic look. <laughs> like, no, we don't watch time trials. It's so boring. Um, but... You know, I think I think listeners of Elmi's podcast are pretty done listening to us drone on and on and on about this stuff. Yeah. They probably want to actually hear from some of the riders. So I think we're going to like... We're going to go for a walk. We're going to walk around. Yeah. We're going to talk to some interesting people, um, some riders, some team directors, just some personalities around the Tour de France. And we're going to backload this episode with just fun interviews yep. to save you all. From having to listen to us. Ugh. Uh, the worst. I can't believe you made it this far, actually. I know, right? Yeah. Listening to us in our like weird Marseille takes. Yep. Well, we were asked for takes. Bo- both of our listeners tweeted That's at true. us. That's <laughs> true. Two yeah. people on Twitter were yeah. like, hey, I'm listener number one and listener number two. <laughs> we need your takes. We're like, all right. Well, yeah. you know, our two listeners demand. Uh, we must provide. All but right. Now, but now, let's go for a walk. Let's do it. Steve Perino. TV's Steve Perino. Uh, Steve, you spend all day on a motorcycle at this Tour de France. First question for you, like, how does your body feel after like a long 200 and some K stage on a motorcycle? I I feel kind of like I've been tarred and feathered, right? Because this is something I learned early, but it didn't quite, I didn't quite understand, like how do the riders deal with it? But they don't actually, because they don't go back in the caravan, but the caravan aerializes everything that civilization has left behind. And then I am like the tar baby. And then, boom, that's how I show up. And, and, I, and I'm usually so, uh, there's so much going on at the end that I forget. And people will be looking at me as I'm walking by like, what's wrong with that guy? It's like, because I am covered in soot, look like a chimney sweep. I've used a lot of analogies, but you get the idea. It's dirty, it's mucky, it is so my environment. So, Steve, one of the things that I, I is always sort of a, a grim reminder at these races is just the chaotic scene at the finish line around the buses. Uh, for listeners of the Velvet Podcast who don't know, uh, cycling is not a particularly civilized sport once um, the riders cross the finish line. You, the reporter, are trying to get an interview with people. You're fighting with fans, with 
family members, with staffers. Everyone's trying to get to these riders and these staffers. And so, like, what's your strategy for getting these interviews? Because as a TV guy, like, you have to be there, camera in their face, and you're having to fight through a lot of people. So, so what do you do? Right. Well, the strategy, Steve Schlanger is kind of the master, so I kind of go, he's sort of my towel. <laughs> but what, what we do, since I come off late, we have camera and audio. Yeah. Audio kind of like an offensive blocker and they take up a little space on the line and then we do the switcheroo when I show up and then the audio guy then becomes defense and goes behind me and then you slide in and and then you do you wave the NBC flag and that is can be a pro can be a con but uh, that's that's the technique but I, I'm with you when I first got here six years ago and I just I hadn't seen that before Honestly, I am amazed at the civility of the riders because I know what I'm like if I've been doing something at the limit for five hours. Obviously, I'm not trained to do that. I would certainly not talk to anybody, but you're bitter. I, I, you know, like, that does not bring out the best in you is that level of intensity. And then to be swarmed and people literally stealing your oxygen, uh, I'm really blown away at how well-behaved, in most cases, the riders are. So. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's an awful way. And it's like 100% guaranteed to get the writers angry at you. But can I, can I tell a story about you? Yeah. No, what I was doing, I was doing an interview. Uh, it was Jack Bauer as opposed to not Nasser Bohani uh, strike. And I'm having this, you know, interview with Jack Bauer. And he's, being, and he's being super calm and cool. And he's not calling anyway out. And, and Fred's taller than a lot of us. He came over the top, Wilt Chamberlain style, with this like the, and then he's like, "Have you ever been hit in the face before?" And I'm like, "I got to be more like you, man." And his answer was, "Oh uh, no, not, not normal. It's not normal." But man, you got the good question, and you got the good question, and skyhook. Well, thanks, Steve. Um, I hope the body is feeling better than it was last year. Uh, but yeah, it's been a pleasure skyhooking over you in these scrums <laughs> this past couple weeks. <laughs> pleasure was all mine, man. Okay, I am walking to the stadium and I see it's Lawrence Tendam. He just finished his TT. Uh, he has a very large snot rocket in his beard right now. I mean, it means he went hard. Let's, let's catch up with him. <laughs> Lawrence, we just did the TT. It started and finished in a stadium. Yeah. What's your assessment of this format? It's pretty cool. Only the spectators were not there. Eh? I think it's really a cool format, you know, when the fast time uh, finishes come in, you hear the stadium. So, uh, and also people are waiting, to, they see them coming, you know, on the screen and then they can start cheering. So I think it's really cool, but uh, the stadium has to be full. Eh? It's the, Compared to the mountains, there's not so many public, not so much public. I don't know why. I don't know if they ask entrance fee or not, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. But I think it's a cool format. How about the parkour? Oh, perfect! Really nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a great parkour for a TT. Any advice for the GC guys on this specific parkour? Don't crash in that descent, you know. <laughs> and the heat today? It's warm, but once you. It's only half an hour, so you don't get dehydrated too much. It's okay. What will be your memory from this Tour de France? Four stages, two jerseys. Great Tour de France. All right. Uh, I am inside of the big Marseille velodrome, the velodrome orange right now. Uh, a lot of fans everywhere, and we're watching the finish of La Course, about 2K to go. Annemiek van Vluten is off the front, minute and 49. Um, 
you know, there's a pretty good turnout today. The men's race is not going to start for another few hours, but, um, you know, the, the lower grandstands have a number of fans in them. It's very loud. It's a good spectacle. Um, you know, I would like to see more people here for the women's race, but, um, you know, maybe next time. But so far, I'd say there's a lot of energy and a lot of activity. Oh, Anna Meek knows she's going to win. She just waved to the crowd. Um, but, yeah, I think a somewhat successful kickoff event here. Wandering around by Astana at the moment. There was a Vino sighting earlier. I don't see him. Vino. Where'd you go, Vino? He's not here. Well, it's getting to sort of mid-late afternoon now, and uh, Fabio Aru is on, on the trainer, spinning away in his Italian national jersey. Apparently, we've heard came down with a bit of bronchitis in the last week and that's why we've seen a, a drop off in performance which is which is sad for him we were we were sitting outside uh we we're actually sitting outside the astana bus a couple days ago because they have a television and that's often how we watch the end of the stages we go to the bus and then we watch on the tv on the side of the astana bus and his family was all behind us this is the day uh up to the Isward when he was kind of getting gapped off uh it's always a little bit heartbreaking to watch the family of a rider like that when they're not doing quite as well as they would have hoped. Oh, Jeff Brown. Uh, Jeff Brown is the, what, Big G's head mechanic at Candle Dray Pack. Let's, uh, let's go catch Jeff, ask him about some of the equipment choices that Candle's made for this time trial. Are you doing anything special on the equipment side for, for this particular race? I mean, it's a steep climb. Are these guys running lower gears than they normally would in a, in a TT yeah, like this? Yeah, we've been doing like 4228. Normally our TT setup is 42.25, but uh, I mean the, because it's because most of the course, like a lot of the course, is like proper TT, right? Mm -hmm. So you want them to have like a proper gear selection so they can go fast when they have to go fast, you know. But man, for that climb, it's it's difficult, you know. I mean, you could almost do it with like 39 or something like that, right? But uh, yeah, anyways, we, we put on what we put on, and that's what's happening. <laughs> Oh my God, it's, uh, it's Greg Lamont, three-time Tour de France champion. He's talking with Jeremy Whittle right now, uh, British journalist. I'm going to awkwardly stand here and wait for Jeremy to finish up and then get in there. Let's see what Greg has to say about this year's tour. I'm being really awkward right now, just, just letting the Velo News podcast listeners know, just standing here, leering. Oh, more journalists are coming over. Oh, no. This is going to be like a press conference. I don't know. It's, I'd, I'd rather not say anything. Just kind of like... Uh, but I said there's some questions for me, you know, just the investigation of some of the TUEs in the past. And uh, also for me, the tramadol is really disturbing that it was handed out like candy. It's an opiate. Very addictive. And I think anybody who cares about cyclists, if you're a team owner, you'd never do that. There's no doctor in the world that just handed out to riders uh, because they have pain. So that's the kind of stuff that kind of goes, you know... If you're willing to do that, you won't do anything. And so that's why I said it's just hard. I don't know. And then there's just one, always a question mark for me, and I'll be honest, is Mont Blanc 2013. And it's just, I've known about the motor, and I just go, that's the only thing that gives me doubt. This year looks like a good tour, and so, you know, it's, it's a close one. So that's the only thing I said. There's only one, Mont two deal. Knowing what exists out there, this was hard. That's, that's why I said this. So. 
No, I thought, I honestly think the Peloton the last three, four years on it, I really think the sport is when you see the fatigue and all that. So I said, there's, there's an issue of the motors that is real and people, the sport needs to take it seriously because it exists. But that's saying that there's, if you look at the, everybody in the race, I mean, you're not seeing, um, you get, people are wiped out, they're fatigued and it's, yeah, I know that they're, they went up Ezerward faster, but there was a good tailwind. You can't, the, the Giro, like I said, there was some talk about this, uh, uh, went up faster than in the past. So you can't judge anybody on a one one climb. It's been a really good race to me. I, I know we haven't seen. Okay, you haven't seen the. I mean, everybody's waiting for the last two stages of the Alps, but I already knew that both the, both those Mount, the, the Galibia and all that were not. It's it's the highest climb. It's the, not the hardest one. So now it's politically correct to wait for the yellow jersey. So he has a mechanical, and the director's even saying he's going. Well, if I say attack. What are they going to say about me? And then the riders wait for directions from the director. It should be the riders that make the decision there. I mean, if I was racing that, would be like, you know, nobody ever waited me. <laughs> Especially that time in the race. It's okay to, if you're riding along midway through the race and, you know, you're not going to ex- attack and accelerate. You'd wait, or you don't even wait. You just slow down, make sure you're not, if there's not any attacks. Once the attacks go on, it's over. Game's over. It's racing. <laughs> But it's a different eras, you know. But I think if, uh, if you're a sponsor, you want your riders to race to win, not wait for the, your enemy. I said the most, to me, the most impressive rider this year is Warren Bargill. I mean, he actually, and Bardet, Bardet I mean, they attacked, nobody else attacked. And, um, you know, it's, I think that Uran and Quintana wasn't there, but Aru did attack, but he, I said, I heard he had bronchitis or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I like, I, I thought he's, I, I think if he would have had, if he was healthy, if that's what he had, he would have been the guy that would attack. So I like his, his attitude. Dan Martin was animated the race. So I, that's why I said this year's tour to me was a really good tour because, yeah, you didn't have, say, Uran, um, you know, if he was, you, you got to remember his strategy and if somebody's not attacking, there's a, maybe a good reason and you're waiting for the right time. And, and he probably... You know, when you when you're when you're looking in the Pyrenees, you look at the Alps. You're going to go, okay, I'm not going to do much the way the racing's are. If you have a team like Sky pulling them, what are you going to do? Keep attacking? It's like he, he knows it should have been Bardet that tested them, and then he's, it's always about timing that one attack. And I think he wanted anticipated something in the Alps, and and then and he, you could tell he wasn't all there on on Isoard. So you're, all the riders looked like to me they did their best. There are some days that I said that the radio, the days that that they should act instinctively. I think the riders will look back. They, if it's lost by two or three seconds, they're going to go, shh, <laughs> that's where we could have had it up. And that's what's, you know. But it's it's racing. It's it's fun because it's, for me, it's fun because it's like you're sitting here wanting to, you know, be on, be the director and go, attack, attack now. Because <laughs> it's, but the sad part, you know, no matter what, the radio's, I mean, I've raced 14 years, and I can tell you there's about three, four directors that are really good tactically. So imagine if you have really not a great director, <laughs> not telling you the right tactics. So, but it was, I think it was good. I thought Marcel um, Kittle, I mean, I thought it was, you know, everybody said it's, uh, last year, last two years, they said there's no stages for sprinters. Now there were, and then everybody's complained. <laughs> but racing was very classic. You know, cycling is a, a, a team sport. It's chess, and riders are, 
Now, if you have riders attacking all day with there's no wind, side wind, no hills, then it's they're kind of racing not smart. And, and so it's so when you have a day like that for Team Sky, it works out. You let a break away. You know, it's always up to the other riders, and they let them go, and they pull them back, and the sprinter wins. That's been actually very traditional uh, racing. Where are we going right now, Fred? We are going to the field level uh, of the stadium. Flux Media. Flux Media. Um, I'm trying to, I'm like, we're, we're following memory here. Oh, I, I, I did it. <laughs> I was afraid we'd be like wandering around in the bowels of the Orange Velodrome for the next half hour or so, which happened to me when I tried to get back the last time. It's getting kind of loud out there. Yeah, I think this um, stadium is designed to amplify noise because there actually aren't that many people in here. Well, okay, yeah, there are. That's good. Where are we, Fred? Uh, we are in the stadium, the Marseille Stadium, Stade Marseille, and uh, we're way at the top. Men's race, only one more rider to go off, Kaylee. And that is Chris Froome. We just saw Roman Bardet go off, and like, it, def it definitely sounded like a zillion people were screaming, and there aren't that many people here. <laughs> Bardet in an absolute world of hurt. Froome can see him. They're under the last, into the last K, under the red kite. Froome can see his quarry, but Bardet is not worried about Froome. Bardet's worried by Mika Landa, who's already finished. It's going to be very close. And they come across the line almost together. We don't actually have a split yet. We don't know who is third. I'm choosing to believe that they were yelling Froom and not Boo when he came in. The top 10 has just popped up on the screen here in the stadium. Barde, third, retains his third by one second over Mikael Landa. So, your podium, Chris Froom as expected. Rigoberto Uran, Roman Barde. Well, yeah, and we almost saw a Denny Menchov's type situation in that final there. Uh, remember back to the 2008 Giro, or maybe it was a 2009, I don't remember. Whenever Denny Menchov was screaming down in the final TT and just crashed and went sliding along the cobblestones, we almost saw that with Rigo Uran, who overcooked that final turn. Uh, you could hear a collective gasp go up from the crowd as everyone was just like oh no drama and I think a lot of it was just like the door is open for Roman Bardet and it was not it was summarily closed the door was never open for him I think Ron probably could have run it in from there and still and still been alright actually that's, yeah, a, but that's a screaming hot take honestly I thought that uh, Ron might run it in from there because he had you know in typical Rigo style he pushes his huge gear so he unclipped and came to a standstill and then had to get the bike up to speed and I was just like oh man is he gonna like just just pick up his bike and start clickety clack running towards the finish line <laughs> I, I mean if you know if, if I think you'd have to right yeah I mean that would definitely would add some panache to the race I'd be, he'd be a French hero forever if he were to do that and like still make it in to the time to stay on the podium I think the only thing that would make him a French hero is if he lost to Roman Bardet yeah that's true so Kaylee what do we make of this this stadium start finish you know I thought it was really cool but 
there weren't like the stands were not full, nor were they close to being full. No, they were not anywhere near full. Merci. Oh, all right. We've made it through. We made it through the gauntlet. <laughs> oh, hey, look, there's Vino. Oh, we made it behind, right behind Vino. Oh, exciting times. Yeah, he has. What were we just talking about? Um, the stadium, just oh, uh, right. you know, innovative and cool idea, but from a crowd size perspective, I don't know, maybe a, a quarter full, maybe less than that. Yeah, I think about a quarter full. I mean, maybe just the stadium was too big. How big how, was it? Sixty thousand people that that one. 62,000 people that one holds so you know even if they had 15 20,000 people in there it's still gonna look relatively empty and that's exactly it did it looked relatively empty it was still loud though I liked the ambiance I liked the noise uh, the fact that every time well pretty much any rider came through but in particular any French rider uh, Warren Barguil got a huge 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 round of applause as did Bardet it really just sort of it erupted in there it's pretty yeah, cool yeah you know that's a problem that like uh, Major League Soccer faced during its early years was that all of the games were being played in these big so- uh, big football NFL stadiums and uh, they had to close off the upper bowl and sometimes even more than the upper bowl to make a like a crowd of 15,000 not look totally pathetic so I don't know maybe uh, ASO next time closes down the like the upper upper bleachers and forces everyone down although we tried to get down on the ground floor and we got shut down the green shirts and the gendarmes they were not happy with us they i think they thought maybe we were like really bad body odor terrorists or just like infiltrators i I don't know they did not like us we had a we had a rough time there we were booted well now we are walking back to the press room i will say crowds crowds along the road seem to be healthy as ever i mean like your typical 5d people yelling and screaming and having a good time so maybe that's the lesson for the tour de france uh in this is that like just tour de france fans prefer the um cheap showiness of nature (laughs) <laughs> to the expensive and, um, you know, man-made situation of a, of a stadium, you know? Although, I gotta say, like, stadium food, that's pretty good. Like, I didn't check it out, but, you know, in a stadium, you get, like, bathrooms. You don't have to pee on the side of someone's house. But maybe Tour de France fans, maybe that's, like, what they prefer. I don't a little peeing on the side of someone's house? Yeah, that, that might be just, just part of it. Um, so, yeah, we have, our, what, we have our final pony. I'm Chris Froome, Rigo Oran. And uh, Roman Bardet, Kaylee, Roman Bardet saved it by one second. I fear what would have happened in that stadium had he lost it by, by one second, actually. I mean, I think it would have just been like real loud to real quiet to real sort of like Charlie Brown peanuts <laughs> shuffling out of the stadium with like heads held down. You know, but the the crowd was very happy when they posted the final GC times up and it showed that Roman Bardet had like salvaged it by one second over Mikel Landa. So, hey man, party in France. Party in France tonight. And now back to the press room and then on to Paris tomorrow. Uh, Kaylee, I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. It was very hot. It was very sweaty today in Marseille, the lovely city of Marseille. Any, any, were you the, the victim of any like weird violent crimes today, Kaylee? Just the usual green shirt, uh, moving me out of where I wanted to be. That was, that was the only thing that I ran into. Uh, listeners of the Villain News podcast, you guys should know that, uh, patrolling the grounds here at every Tour de France stage are these, uh, volunteers in green shirts. And they're there to just like 
bust us to just like <laughs> take us journalists, we journalists, and just send us away. And that happened multiple times to me today. You too? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same crew that goes around the entire tour. I don't think they're they're like a security firm or something like that. They're sort of big bouncer types. Well, some of them are big bouncers. Some of them are very small actually, but they are. They do have the ability to uh, move us around when we are in the wrong places. They also, and this is the scary part, they have the authority, if you do something very bad, to just yank your credential off of you. So you have to be Ooh. nice to the green shirts. What about your parking pass? Can they take that away? That may have happened to us once, this sort of thing. Wait, what about your press buffet uh, entitlements, your access to press buffet? Could they yank that? Could they take that away from me? Probably, actually, yeah. Oh, man, I'm going to be nice to these people now. <laughs> Always say merci. Uh, well, I guess that's a good place to have our final question of the tour, which is, maybe this is a little too insider baseball, but um, what would be your ideal, what's the best way for media to interact with riders at the Tour de France? Um, you know, usually what it is is the race ends, the rider goes to the bus, um, we try to elbow each other in the head to try and get quotes from them, there's press from many, many, many different countries speaking different languages, and I'm sure the riders are just like, oh my god, get me out of this situation, I'm tired. And um, so do you have a way to disrupt the way that we media interact with riders at a place like the Tour de France? Yeah, it's very uncivilized, the way that it works right now. You know, I'm going to actually steal an idea from a colleague of ours, Rupert Guinness. Rupert has has, uh, long held that we should have a journalist bus. And actually, he wants to turn into a reality TV show, which I think would be kind of amazing. Uh, It would not be a very good smelling reality TV show. We're just going to no, throw that out there. Nope. The aromas would be quite rank. Not very good smelling, not very good looking. Maybe maybe best for what's well, called a radio show. A reality radio show. Uh, no, I, th- I yeah. So right now, yeah, we have to go to their buses and sort of wait outside in the rain and they sit inside and they look at us through the tinted windows and I want that experience because I think that reporters and journalists are very, very important to the Tour de France. Maybe more important than the riders and I think that we should have our own bus and the riders should come up to our bus and wait outside for us to talk to them. That's what I think. I like this. This would make me feel like a real celebrity. Although, I don't know how I would react to a bunch of pushy cyclists elbowing each other, their pointy elbows, asking me if I can interview them. I think I would react poorly to that. Um, I'm with you. So, I, I've done a, some uh, mainstream sports coverage in my day and spent times in locker rooms. And so, I got to say, the way that the Tour de France does it, of like getting elbowed in the head and kicked is far better than standing in front of some like naked man <laughs> and asking him questions about the way the basketball game went so i think it's fine just so long as there's no there's no like genitalia <laughs> that i have to look at um well that's our show you know that was a good tt day show but before we go we have some winners to announce from our contest involving VeloFix. These, uh, VeloFix is the lovely company, uh, man and van. They will come to your workplace or your home to fix your bike if it is broken or needs repairs. Kaylee, how would this benefit you? Uh, well, it would benefit me because I am very, very busy and rarely have time to actually get to the bike shop. But we had a little contest, you might remember from, from a couple of episodes ago. That contest is now has now run its course. We have two winners. Mark from Reno and Ben from Chicago. Congratulations, fellas. Uh, you have won a free Velofix tune as well as some pedals and cables and housing. Wait, do we get last names for them? We did not get last names. So what if there's two marks from Reno? Well, we're shit out of luck, Ben. Yeah, they're going to be arm wrestling <laughs> or something. Luckily, uh, Velo News podcast listeners should note that 
there's only one Mark that lives in Reno, and he's our winner. Big congratulations, Reno Mark. Congratulations, <laughs> Reno Mark. Well, guys, I think that's a good place to end it today. We would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can always email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. Uh, we'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on VelNews.com. Subscribe to the VelNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a rating. Uh, become a fan of VelNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VelNews. VelNews show is produced by VelNews, which is owned by the competitor group. Thoughts and individuals expressed on the VelNews podcast. Even those thoughts expressed by Greg Lamont about motors and doping and weird cycling stuff uh, are those of the individual. And as always, we are leaving you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy classic Soul Drums. We'll be right back.